Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, we're going to begin a series of messages, which we'll skip, of course, next week because Dan's going to be here. But I want to take and speak to you about end-time events. Uh, God said this in Isaiah 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. So God's saying, look, I know what's going to happen. I've been saying from ancient times, and I'm just going to say like the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all of those Old Testament scriptures. From ancient times, God is declaring what still has not taken place. I think you know this, but uh, roughly 30%, the actual number they say is 28% of the Bible is prophecy. Most of that prophecy deals with end times. So God says, I've already declared to you what's going to happen. Now, one of the reasons that God did this was so that it would be abundantly clear that this book is a supernatural book. When God tells you thousands of years before something happens, what is going to happen? Now, my first experience with end-time Bible prophecy was in 1973, 1974. I was in a Target store. I was really a new Christian. I was over in their, their, their literature section, and I noticed a book called The Great Late Planet Earth by Hell Lindsay. How many remember kind of a little bit of that book? I mean, that kind of got a lot of us interested in end-time Bible prophecy. And one of the things that he mentioned was that it was mathematically impossible. It was an impossibility for the things that had been prophesied that had come to pass to, to have someone prophesy those things thousands of years or millennia before they ever took place. Now, the truth is this. Whenever we talk about end times, people get shaky. They get, people get fearful. And, and, and how many of you know people don't need to be more fearful than they already are? I mean, with the unrest and, and, and the COVID flu that's, a, that's around, uh, people are very, very fearful, right? Well, when, when the Bible talks about end times, it's the exact opposite of fearful. It says in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The end time things are supposed to comfort you, not bring fear. If you're right with God, they should be a comfort. If you're not right with God, you should be afraid. You really should. In Luke chapter 21, where Jesus is giving his Olivet Discourse on end times, he says, when you begin to see these things take place, he says, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. Jesus does not say, when you see the end getting close, you need to buy guns and dried food, move to the upper peninsula, get a generator in a garden and hide or be afraid. That is not what he says. He says, get happy. He said, lift up your heads. He says, this is a great time because your redemption is drawing nigh. And I know people think this. They think, well, it's just, you're just looking for something, you know, spectacular to, to talk about. I want you to listen carefully 
This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, let me say this, every single New Testament author, even those that just write one chapter, every one of them talks about Jesus coming back. Jesus is coming again. When he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And listen, everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now, you, I, I can preach and say, don't do, don't, don't watch pornography, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't lust, don't overeat, don't get angry, don't, 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 don't. And you know what you do? You do, 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 do. Right? But you hear this Bible, what it said, this verse? It said, when you realize that Jesus is coming back, you purify yourself. You get ready for the king. He said, look, I'm going to stand and I'm going to give an account for the things that I've done in my body. And the Bible says the result of understanding Bible prophecy that Jesus is coming back, that the end, I'm going to say this again, all right, the end of human government. It's not the end. It's just the end of human government as we know it. That the end of human government is close and the king is coming. And he is coming, listen, he is not coming as a Democrat. He is not coming as a Republican. He is coming as the supreme independent because he comes to rule and to reign. That's what he's coming for. That's what the Bible says. You see, Jesus didn't say when he came, oh, I'm trying to get you to heaven. No, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's not when you die and go someplace, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's now. It didn't begin when you die. It began when Jesus came. The kingdom has begun. Right. So Jesus encourages the church. He said, when, that things, when, the, when, when you see the signs that the end of human, and I'm just going to keep saying it that way, the end of human government is near. It says, you rejoice. John says, you'll purify yourself. And he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I'll do all my pleasure. Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talk on end times. He says this in the 32nd verse. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. Now in Bible prophecy, the fig tree is Israel. Israel is God's time clock. You look at Israel and you can understand what God is doing in the end times, what God is doing today. When you see the parable of the fig tree, when its branches already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Now, one of the most significant events that has taken place in the last well, literally 70 something years 
is Israel becoming a nation. God predicted that the Jews would be scattered around the world. And then in the last days, he would bring them back to their own nation. Happened in 1948. Remember, Jesus said, this generation will not pass away. And also in that same Olivet Discourse, this is in Luke 21, these are synoptic. In other words, they're talking about the same thing. And they will fall by the edge of the sword. Wow, look at the Holocaust. Be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. June 1967, the Jewish people gained control of the city of Jerusalem. Right? And just in the last 10 days, they really gained control of the city of Jerusalem with that new peace accord that has gone out, that President Trump uh, has, has been working on. Right? But you, you could say 1948, you could say 1967, when you see these things begin to take place, they said, lift up your heads. And this generation will not pass away. Now, the, the question is always, what's a generation? Right? Some people say 40 years. There's really not any biblical evidence of 40 years. In Psalms 90, uh, this is written by Moses. The children of Israel have come to the promised land. They refuse to go in. And they said, God, it'd be better for us to die in the wilderness. And God said, well, if that's what you say, that's what you're going to have. Every one of you who's 40 years or 20 years old and above, you're going to die in that desert. In the next 40 years, you're going to die. Your spies went through the land 40 days. And for every day they went through the land, you're going to spend a year in that desert. And Moses wrote and said, yet our days are but three score and 10, or if by reason of strength, four score years or 80 years, 70 or 80 years. Now that was not written under normal circumstances. That was written when the children of Israel were doomed to die in the desert because of unbelief, right? But if you want to go 70 or 80, you can go with that. I think you'd be better off looking towards the beginning again, back in the book of Genesis. Genesis 15. And, and you, you're, we're, we're going to be, a, we're going to be during this series, we're going to go into the book of Genesis. Because without understanding Genesis, particularly chapters 12 and chapter 15, we will not understand end time events and what's happening. Right? But here we are in Genesis 15. God said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. 16th verse, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here. 400 years in, in the fourth generation, which would put a generation at at least 100 years. And then the last thing, that God actually said concerning the life span of people is found in Genesis chapter six in verse three, where he says, yet his days shall be 120 years. In other words, he said, the longest people are going to live are going to be 120 years. Now, you say, well, I, I don't know many people that have made it. You know, I was reading recently about somebody 114 years old. I want to encourage you, shoot high. Just shoot high. All right. You say, well, what if I don't make it? I want you to just make it to 102. You did pretty good. 
Just shoot high. Just shoot high. So biblically speaking, I believe that you can say on a minimum, a generation is 100 years. He said in the fourth generation after 400 years. And I I would stick with the, the 120 mark myself. Now, again, we are not talking because people think this is going to be, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. If Jesus came back today, right, what you think is the end of the world, right, would be a minimum of a thousand years away. Right? Because when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to rule and reign. In Acts chapter one, he's risen from the dead. He's spending time with his disciples. And the Bible says he's talking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And they say, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the father's put in his own authority. Jesus told his disciples, he said, when I come back and I'm ruling, he said, you 12 will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is coming back to stick around. Revelation 20, he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, the dove, who's called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I am so waiting for the devil to shut up. (laughs) Set a seal on him so he wouldn't deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Then verse four. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse five. But the rest of the dead didn't live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And then verse six. Over such the second death has no power, for they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a... How long? Thousand yet. Five times five verses, just in case you miss it. So when Jesus comes back, it's not the end of the world. It's the end of human government. Because Jesus comes to rule and to reign. Now, after the thousand years, what happens? Right Now, this is a brief period of time. Most theologians put it at 35 days. And you can look in the book of Daniel and find out why. All right. But listen, This is what happens after the thousand years. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, day of the Lord. Everybody look at me. You got to know this. The day of the Lord is not 24 hours. Okay. The day of the Lord includes the entire tribulation period. The entire tribulation period. And then the reconstruction of the earth. So here we go. The day of the Lord will, not, will, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens, that's the atmosphere, will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt in fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So after that thousand years, God literally sets this planet on fire and purifies it. The Bible says every element and every work, your car is going to be gone. All right. The gold you got hid someplace or silver you got hid someplace, you got something hid, it's going to be gone. It's all going to melt. Right. 
That's at the end of the thousand years. And then this is what takes place. Revelation 21. Then I, John, saw a new heaven. It's a new atmosphere, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. That's after the thousand years, right? The Bible says in Daniel, blessed is he who waits and sees. Blessed is the one who sees this, right? Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, look at this. God's city, what makes heaven heaven, it comes down from heaven, and where does it come? It comes here. See, we all think God's trying to get us to heaven. He's not. He's trying to get heaven in you. You know, we think, I'm going to go to heaven and spend eternity. I mean, Christians think, I'm going to float on a cloud. I'm going to wear a sheet. I'm going to play a harp. It's not happening. That is no place in, any, is no place in your Bible. Right? A new heaven, a new earth. The first heaven and earth or atmosphere and earth had passed away. Well, we, Peter wrote about it, the fervent heat. All right. Also, there's no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. I'll dwell with them. They will be my people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Let me just add. There is no more sickness. There is no more disease. There's no more racism. There is no more any evil, bad thing you can think of. It is gone. Why? Because the kingdom of God is come in force. And by the way, wherever the kingdom of God is, all that junk isn't there anyway. All right. The former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. See, people think I'm going to go up to heaven and it's going to be this clouds and angels like little babies with bow and arrows and all that stuff. It's not in the Bible. I don't care if you're Catholic, if you're Lutheran, if you're a Presbyterian, uh, reform, Christian reform, Baptist, I don't care what it is. All, all of us believe the same thing. Heaven is not there. Heaven comes from there and comes down here, right? It's a new earth. How many of you like this one? The new one's not cursed. The new, it's going to be new and improved. New and improved. But heaven is not there. Heaven comes here. Heaven comes here. Right? So Jesus comes back. What happens before he comes back. Or really, we might say, I, I would personally say he comes back and then this happens. And different scholars have different opinions about the exact where's of this. Right? But the book of Revelation, the majority in the first in the first three chapters, it's the church, the church, the church, the church, 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 church. Chapter four comes no more church. Not mentioned one time. Right? And the reason is the church is in heaven. And the reason the church is in heaven is because the majority of the book of Revelation is God's wrath being poured out on a world that has rejected salvation and the kingdom of God. Right? So for that to happen, well, Revelation 9, 
verse 15. It says, so the four angels who'd been prepared for that hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. One third of mankind, one day. They're gone. They're killed. Revelation 9, 18. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. And by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone that came out of their mouth, again, a third of the mankind that's left. Uh, we, we've seen war. We've seen pestilence. We've seen all sorts of things. But we've never seen anything like when the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver, brass and stone and wood, which neither see nor hear nor walk. And they didn't repent of their murders and their sorceries and their sexual immorality and their theft. Now, when that takes place, listen, listen carefully. The church is gone. We are not here. You say, why? First Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What is Jesus going to do? He's going to deliver you from the wrath that's going to be poured out on the unbelieving world. First Thessalonians 5.9. For God did not appoint us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. People say, well, you're just teaching some escapism. Jesus is talking in times. This is his Olivet Discourse, Luke 21. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. People say, you're just preaching escapism. Well, what did Jesus teach? He said, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape. Escape these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. In uh, Luke's Gospel, 17th chapter, Jesus said this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of Son of Man. They will eat, drink, marry their wives. They'll be given in marriage until the day that Noah was taken into the ark and the flood destroyed them all. How many realize what Noah did? Noah escaped. Jesus said, like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the day of the Son of Man when he comes. He went on and he said, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. Right? And then he goes on, he says, remember Lot's wife. So Lot is living in the city of Sodom. Two angels come and they're at Lot's house. Read about this. Genesis 18, 19. Right? The Bible says the men of the city surround the house and ask that these angels, who appear to be men, be given to them so that they can have sex with them, as it was in the days of Lot. Right? We have the LGBTQ movement today, which has been literally politicized. right? But it's a picture, really, of what happened in the days of Lot. So those angels take Lot and his family out of the city of Sodom, and then the city of Sodom is destroyed. Lot and his family escape. Jesus said, well, like it was in the days of Noah, like it was in the days of Lot, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. Dr. Weiss, tremendous, tremendous Greek scholar, takes Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me read to you a little bit. First, he begins and he says, don't let anybody convince you 
that the day of the Lord's already come. Whether they say we wrote a letter or an angel appeared or whatever. He says to the effect that the day of the Lord has come and is now present. Do not be allowed. Don't begin to allow anyone to lead you astray in that way. Because that day shall not come except the aforementioned departure of the church to heaven. The aforementioned departure of the church to heaven comes first. And then the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is disclosed. His true identity, the son of perdition, who sets himself up in opposition and exalts himself above everyone and everything that is called God and every object of worship. And he goes into the temple that's going to be set up on that temple mount. Right. Now, notice the Antichrist cannot be revealed until what? The departure of the church takes place first. That means Jesus is coming back to take us to heaven. And the Antichrist can't even show up until we're here, we're out of here, right? Because we're restraining. The church is salt. The church is light. Now, there have, John makes it very clear. The spirit of the Antichrist has been in the world since the first century. The spirit of Antichrist. And there have been types. Hitler was a type of the Antichrist. Old Testament, Haman was a type of the Antichrist. And that spirit is here, right? And that spirit is very active today in the world, the Antichrist spirit. But ultimately, there will be one man, all right? And he will be the Antichrist. And what Paul said is he will go into the temple. And, and, and by the way, I, I'm going to mention this. We, we, we just postponed our trip to Israel just because of all the, the uncertainty that there is right now. We could uh, people could, could sign up and, and make their payment, but then if something happens, we don't get any money back. And I, we're not going to put anybody in that, that situation. So we just postponed one year. But one of my favorite things to do when we get to Israel is to go to that Temple Mount. I mean, this, is where, this is where Jesus preached. This is where Solomon's temple was built. This is the spot where David sacrificed to stop the plague. Right? Now, the Bible says that what's going to happen in these last days is that the temple will be rebuilt. And by the way, we go to Israel, we go to the Temple Institute. You, you, you can see the altar that goes in, the very one, the candelabra that goes in, solid gold. Sucker's about this tall, right? Solid gold, right? You can see everything. They're, they're training the priests right now to go in. But the Antichrist will go in and he will stop the sacrifices and he will declare himself to be God. Daniel talked about it, and we're going to look at that. Daniel calls it the abomination of desolation. So, so Weist is saying to us, or Paul is saying to us in Thessalonians, he's saying the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church is first taken out of the way. So don't worry about who he is. Is he the Antichrist? Is that the Antichrist? Who cares? We got the real Christ. And nobody's going to know for sure until we're gone. And then he will be revealed. All right. Uh, quickly, quickly, quickly. Right. Israel, again, is, is, God's, is God's clock. God's timepiece about the end times. 1948, they become a nation. 1967, right? they gain control of the city of Jerusalem. And then literally in the last two weeks, in a totally new way, they gain control control of the city of Jerusalem. But back in Genesis chapter 15, God is 
made a promise to Abraham that he will have descendants and that he'll give him the land. And Abraham says, God, I'm pretty old and I don't have any children. How do I know? Genesis 15, God said, take these animals and cut them in half and the birds and put them on altars. Now, when I read about the heifer being cut in half, I'm thinking a barbecue, right? Come on. Good day. But that's not what Abraham thought. Abraham knows exactly what's happening. God is about to make a blood covenant with him. Now, when you cut those animals in half, there's blood everywhere. And the people that are making the covenant, they walk together in these around these altars with the animals, and they're making promises to each other. Their feet are covered in blood, and they make promises, and they say, I will do this, and I'm going to do that, and I will do this for you, I will do that for you. They make the promises. Well, Abraham splits the animals, and he's waiting, and the Bible says he falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, the Bible says that two things, two, two beings showed up. One is referred to as a flaming torch. The other is referred to as a smoking furnace. And it says, and they pass through the pieces. Right? And they're talking to each other. And they're making promises to each other. Now, these are not earthly beings. These are heavenly beings. One is God the Father. The second one, Galatians tells us who it is. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds as to many, but as to one and to your seed, who is Christ. So God, the father and Jesus walk through the pieces and make promises to each other. How many of you think this is going to happen? Whatever it is, it's going to happen. We, we just had communion and celebrated the blood covenant that we're in. Right? And we're confident that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Well, here God made a promise to Jesus. The chapter ends. And on the same day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham. Now, he renewed that covenant with his son Isaac, and he renewed that covenant with his grandson Jacob. And that covenant stands today. In truth, the covenant is made with his seed or Jesus. So it doesn't matter what Abraham or his kids do. Because the promise was made by God the Father to Jesus. And on the same day, he made a covenant with Abraham. He promised, saying, and to your, to your descendants, I will give this land from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates. So the creator of the universe gives Abraham and his descendants a land grant. Right? This is, this is not something that men put together. This is something God put together. Now, what he said he was going to do because of their disobedience, he said, I will disperse them throughout the whole earth. But in the last days, I will bring them back to their own land. I'll bring them back to their own land. Now, here's how most of us were brought up. We don't believe that. Okay. We, 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 you know, we talk about, uh, we follow Luther, we follow Calvin, we follow great theologians of centuries past. St. Augustine is a great example. Right? They all said the same thing. They said, hey, it is impossible that Israel's ever going to go back to being a nation. That's impossible. 
So all the Bible says to Israel is really just to the church. Now, I understand how they did that 500 years ago. Particularly, you look at Daniel. Daniel said this. God is saying, God spoke to him and said, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. He said, we're, we're going to tell him what's going to happen, but nobody's going to be able to understand until the time of the end. Well, after over 1,800 years of Israel not being a nation, 1948 shows up and God brings them back and they become a nation, as the Bible prophesied, in one day. In one day. And the Bible is very clear. It will happen in a day that they will become a nation. Right? Now, I, I know there's, there, there's all sorts of, of political positions on this, but I tell you what, the kingdom of God position is this. That land belongs to the Jewish people and God has given it to them and they will never be uprooted from that place where they are. So 500 years ago, Calvin, Luther, 1,500, 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine, they looked and they said, it's impossible. But how many of you know you, all you need to do is look at a map? They're there. Exactly what God said that man thought was impossible has happened. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. It is possible with God. So we have Israel there today. And what we do is we, we call it replacement theology when people say it's just for the church. All those promises are no longer for us. Ezekiel chapter 37, that, that valley of dry bones. And the prophet Ezekiel looks out in the future. He sees the valley and it's full of dead bones. Israel is dead. And God says, can those bones live again? And the prophet says, God, only you know. And he said, prophesy to those bones. And those bones come together. And he prophesies again and muscle sinew comes on him. And he prophesies again and flesh comes on him. And he prophesies again and they stand up. And the Bible says they become a great army. And by the way, Israel is probably the fourth most powerful army on the face of the earth. That little nation with less than 6 million Jews. Right? Powerful, powerful. God said that was going to happen. All right. Now, let me just close this. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. He said, give no offense in anything, either to the Jew, to the Greek, or to the church of God. Now, here's where the church has made a tremendous error, right? With replacement theology, we have decided that every prophecy is about us, right? But every prophecy in the Bible is not about you. Some prophecies in the Bible are strictly to Israel, to the Jew. Some prophecies in the Bible are strictly to the world. They're not to you. They're, they're, they're concerning the unbelieving and the ungodly. And then there's prophecies in the Bible that are about the church. They can be about the world. They can be about the church. And they can be about the Jew. And if we take and try to make everything about us, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. And so much of that is what has happened with replacement theology. So I want to say to you, love Israel, stand with Israel, bless Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the fact that God has prophesied these things millennia before they take place is proof that God's word, the Bible, is a super 
supernatural book. The things that have already come, past, come to pass are proof to you and I that the things that still have not come to pass are going to come to pass. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? I want to say this to every person. God loves you. God loves you. And there is nothing you could do that could make him love you less. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, God's enemies away from God, Christ died for us. And you may think that you are so far away from God, but there is no life so dark, valley so low, sin so shocking, sex so perverted, relationships so appalling, no pit so deep, no addiction so dreadful, and no life so empty that Jesus with his blood cannot reach down where you are and make you whole and make you new and give you purpose. God specializes in impossibilities. Jesus said in my father's house, there's plenty of room. There is room for you. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says this, God is making his appeal through us. And I believe this today, that God is speaking to you through me. And this is the rest of the verse. Come back to God. You're away from God. You're not right with God. You say, I've never even believed in God until today. I'm not even sure what I believe. God is calling you and saying, come home. Come home. There's room. I love you. I want you in my kingdom. I want you in my house. I want you as part of my family. So I'm going to ask everybody, please, just take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your hand towards heaven. Wherever you're at online, I want you to do the same. One hand on your heart, other hand towards heaven. I want you to pray this prayer out loud and make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I turn my back on my old life. I'm not going to live to please myself. I'm going to live for Jesus. I receive Jesus as my king. I'm a part of his kingdom. And I receive the forgiveness he purchased for me. And I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.